What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Carbide Podcast. My name is Spencer DeLabriere, and I'm your host. One of the coolest parts for me about the snowmobile community as a whole is how close-knit we are. Despite all of our differences, be it geographic, language, or sometimes the biggest of all, the color of our sled, we're all brothers and sisters at the end of the day. There's one figure in our community that exemplifies this as best as someone could. Regardless of all his success on the snow, and probably being the most recognized name in the history of the sport, in a lot of ways he's just your average snowmobiler. He's passionate, loves a good 90s era triple, and will talk your ear off on his favorite sleds if you give him the chance. He's one of the best ambassadors in our world, and I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to chat with him. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Mr. Levi Lavalley. At Levi Lavalli as he gets ready here as well. Levi looks very smooth and very consistent. Lavalli is back. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. Appreciate everybody tuning in once again. Very special guest on the line tonight. Former ISOC Pro Stock Champion, 13-time X Games medalist, team owner. And as of a couple of weeks ago, a snowmobile Hall of Famer, Mr. Levi Lavalley. How are we doing, Levi? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing awesome. Doing awesome. Yeah, well, like I said, I really appreciate the time. You're a busy guy, but you got a really cool story in the history of snowmobiling, so it's going to be fun to dive into it a bit. Yeah, I'm excited. There's uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's happened over the years. I'll say that <laughs> for sure, for sure. So. We're going to start kind of in your early years, Levi, if we can. I mean, we're all power sports guys at heart, but kind of what was your what was your first vehicle for you as you were when you were a kid? Where did this all start for you? First vehicle was a 70cc four-wheeler, and okay. I got it when I was uh I wasn't quite 4 years old. And kind of funny story, my my dad picked it up. He picked up a motorcycle for himself and a four-wheeler for me because he knew my mom was going to chew his butt. So he figured <laughs> he would just get them both, both at one time instead of uh, two different times. This is what he said. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Well, I mean, I mean, it worked out that I'm sure you kind of, you kind of caught the bug right then and there, right? Yeah. I mean, the four wheeler, what was cool about it is at that time I was, I was big into monster trucks. So mm-hmm. what my dad did was he took, he had these old cars and actually my first jump was an old car hood that he propped up on wood blocks. <laughs> and that was like my first jump. And you know that it was an old Honda, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, four tracks or something they called it. But anyway, mm-hmm. the little thing, it didn't have any suspension. It was just air in the tires. So I would hit the jump and the thing would like bounce like a basketball when I would land, <laughs> pop, pop, pop like that. And my dad would laugh and, and uh, his buddies would come over and he'd be like, Levi, Levi, go out there and hit the jump, hit the jump. <laughs> and I would go out there and I'd hit it and they'd laugh and whatnot. So it was pretty fun. But then I remember he had a, he had an old, there was an old hood that had like a square front on it. And I mm-hmm. used to go into it like, like the old monster trucks pre, pre jumping the cars. They used to just go in and like kind of run into the side of the car yep. and it would pop like a big wheelie. And then the car, the, front tires would land and kind of crush the car. And I used to sit and do that over and over thinking I was Bigfoot and grave digger and all that stuff. I thought it was super cool. Oh, so it sounds, it sounds like uh launch and Levi started 
day one, basically. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I wish I would have remembered kind of when the car hood jump started. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, this is the thing that was super random about it. So, of course, yeah, these old cars, my dad used to race <clears throat> ice racing out on the lake with cars. Mm-hmm. And he took he took the headers off of the one and he spun them around so they went out the hood. So they were oh. super loud and they were sticking right out the top of the hood. But he had to take and he took and torched these two rectangles for him to stick out of the hood. And that was the hood. That was my first jump. So there's like, <laughs> there's these two like rectangles that were maybe six inches by, you know, a foot and a half, two foot long that I'd have to like go between, like mm-hmm. not straddle, but I'd have to like stay between them. And I was like thinking about it. I'm like, gosh, what a, what a terrible idea. If I would have dropped like my front tire in one of those slots, it would have, you know, I would have went off there <laughs> sideways and cartwheel and everything else. And I'm like, you know, and I never thought twice about it. And my no, dad of course was not. like, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> God. Oh man. So, I mean, it's, it's a miracle that you even survive that stuff, to be honest. But then, oh, you know, when, when did you, when did you first get a sled then? What's the story on so, that? Snowmobiling started when I was seven. My parents got uh, back into snowmobiling after taking, um, you know, taking essentially like 10 years off when, you know, it was my sister and I were born and they, they started running uh, the, the garbage business and whatnot. And they used mm-hmm. to ride snowmobiles in the seventies and then all of the eighties, it was, they were busy in the 1990, they got back into snowmobiling and they bought a, a new Indy 500 and a new Indy trail. And then my mm-hmm. sister and I would ride with, you know, I rode in the front of dad and my, my older sister, she would sit behind my mom as my mom's only four foot 10. So she couldn't see over my sister <laughs> to even drive. So so that's how it started. And then that second, then dad started letting me drive, you know, when I was in front of him. And then that next year he found a used Indy 400 for me. And then from that, you know, when I was eight is when I got that Indy 400 and I could just barely touch the running boards when I would stand mm-hmm. up. And, you know, I just, the, the mission for, you know, 40 years was just try to keep up with dad down the trail. Oh yeah. And so him and I would race down the trail and then we would sit and wait for my mom and, and eventually my sister, she got a sled and then we would sit and wait for them and then we'd race off again. And, um, mm-hmm. and then, then, you know, it kind of, that was the beginning of the, the snowmobiling program. Yeah, it is. It is kind of funny. I usually ask people like kind of, when they when they like got started racing you know formally like actually in a circuit and stuff like that but for a lot of us that grew up riding trails like the the racer mentality was just chasing our parents like it started day one when we started riding trails so it kind of sounds pretty similar for for your story absolutely absolutely was and and that was the thing it was like trying to keep up with dad and when i finally did start racing it, it was real random it was you know i was 12 years old and my dad was like, Hey, there's a, there's this little cross country race that's going to be in Pine river, which was like about half hour from us. And he's like, do you want to go try it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be <laughs> awesome. So it was all on a lake. And I remember he, he went and he bought some, uh, 10 inch racing carbides, the like 60 degree ones that were, yeah. 
you know, wicked sharp. I remember like <laughs> cut your, cut your hand sharp and mm-hmm. we put them on my sled and my dad wrote it first and he's like, Oh, you better go try it. I mean, he literally put them on at the race and, and he's like, you better just take it easy though, because it, I mean, it bites and I'm riding on the ice and I'm like, Oh my goodness, this thing is like, it was like, it was on rails. It was like mm-hmm. locked in. It was biting so hard. And, and I remember being a little guy, you know, I was, I, you know, wrestling, I had an XCR at the time. And I remember like, holy smokes, it was way harder to turn than, uh, you know, than without those big carbides. So it was a little bit of a physical challenge for me, but man, when, you know, that was literally a point and shoot, you, you turn that thing and it was going wherever you pointed it. So, I mean, we, we know your history later on, and obviously you love jumping and just crazy stunts and stuff as a kid, but with your first race being a cross country race, like, did you, did you kind of enjoy that discipline a little bit or were you kind of like, this is fun, but I just want to jump. Actually, I had a lot of fun, uh, doing the cross country. So I, to finish that story of that first race, I went there and, you know, I remember my dad and I, we walk up and I'm 12 years old and I'm probably like. I'm less than four and a half feet tall. I'm pretty little guy at that point. And Mm -hmm. I remember we walk up to sign up for the race and the, uh, it was the woman that was running. It was the, the wife of the main, the main guy. And Mm -hmm. she's like, hi, can I help you? And, And my dad looked at her and he said, well, yeah, we'd like to sign up to race. And she, she looked at me and she, and then looked at my dad and was like, you and who else? And my dad's like, well, my son here, <laughs> the two of us. And she's like, well, he's doing little of the race. Cause the race that we went to, there wasn't like juniors or anything like yep. that. It was just, you know, there's like a pro class of, you know, pro light or whatever, semi pro and sport, you know, there wasn't like mm-hmm. very much structure to it. So they're like, well, he can't race. So then the, owner the guy that was running it he came up and you know he had like a it was a 580 xlt i remember it and i had mm-hmm. a 440 xcr and my dad's like he's like i tell you what you go out on the track and you make a lap and if levi's not right on your tail or past you by the end of it we'll pack up and go home <laughs> and this guy's looking at my dad like are you kidding me and so he's like he knows my dad's not taking no for an answer so the guy's like, all right, all right, we'll make like this waiver, you know, sign the waiver and he can mm-hmm. run this one race. So he literally, it was handwritten, the waiver, like saying like, you're not going to sue me <laughs> and it's your fault if you do anything. And, and so we do this and I had to race against, I had to race in like the B class, the like semi-pro class. And mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. remember I ended up getting second place against all the adults. And the owner of that, he came up and he shook my hand after the race and he said, you can race with us whenever you want. So then I just started doing that. It was IS, ISRA buddy racing is what it was. And I, I followed that for a couple of years and, and that kind of led to, uh, you know, down the road, <clears throat> by the time I was 14, I remember dad looked in, uh, he was looking in the, they had the old like snow week magazine or whatever. And they had a, mm-hmm. a Duluth national insert in there. And it said, mm-hmm. you know, sign up to race at Duluth. And at that point, dad and I, we had went there at least two years in a row just to watch. So I mm-hmm. looked at Duluth as like, you know, going to the Super Bowl. I mean, yeah. it was like 
to me, the biggest snowmobile thing there was. So dad's like looking at this. And he's like, well, I don't know. I, I think we could race it. I think we just got to sign up is what he said to me. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. Like, you can't just go to the Super Bowl. You know yeah, what I'm right. thinking? And he's like, I don't know. So he calls them and he's like, so like, would, do we got to do something to race? And they're like, yeah, you just got to sign up and pay. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we signed up for Duluth. And I went there, and at that point, um, you know, I, I remember, I, re- I gosh, I, I would have learned how to like jump. I would say maybe the that year, the year before, it was like mm-hmm. I, it was my '96 XCR. I remember that clearly. Be- I knew that's when I learned how to use the brake in the air because I remember yeah, okay. that whole process. I remember hitting road approaches and like like coming off the thing and totally not needing to hit the brake, but I was like just hitting the brake off every jump. So I'm like coming mm-hmm. off and I'm endoing and I'm doing everything <laughs> like that. But I, I, I eventually, you know, it became second nature to, to do that. And it, it either happened, I, I, it either happened that year before or that first year of snowcross. So anyway, I go to Duluth, my first snowcross race, and I'm so nervous that I'm like actually racing at Duluth the mm-hmm. night before I'm up all night throwing up and oh, really? sick to my stomach and I get there, I didn't eat anything. And I ended up getting uh fourth place in the, I qualified for the final in the junior 14, 15 and I got fourth place. Mm-hmm. And, and then I remember we, we went cross country racing the rest of that year. I, I started doing Heartland, um, Heartland cross country races. So I did some of those mm-hmm. and then some of those buddy races. And then we went to uh, Powder Ridge kind of down by St. St. Cloud in, um, it would have been like beginning of March, I would say. And mm-hmm. we went there and I ran the junior classes and I like, I was like way more calm and like I knew how to jump. And actually that's mm-hmm. all I knew how to do was jump. So I, I was in junior classes and I was literally jumping everything as fast as I could hit the jump and I'm oh, yeah. flat landing way out in the flat. And, <laughs> and that's where I got my nickname launching Levi was right there. The guy's like, you know, from Longville, Minnesota, it was uh, Dean Norrell. And he's like, launching Levi in the Valley. And he's like, I, I remember the, I've got the video. It's so classy. He's like, he, I'm, I'm running around in the lead and I'm jumping everything. He's like, here comes little Levi. And then he's like, oh, gosh, he can't weigh 65 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> but he sure likes jumping or something like that. It was super funny. So anyway, that's where it started. So we ended up winning the junior class there. And we went to the last national at Lake Geneva. And I won the, the junior class there. So then the next year, we were like kind of 50-50 snow crossing. We went snow crossing and doing mm-hmm. junior classes and um, and well, we must have did more than 50, 50. Cause I think I won a junior 16, 17 championship or something. Uh, but anyway, we had mm-hmm. a good go in semi-pro that year. And I did, um, I did, a like one race of sport at the okay. end of that year at Geneva. I did sport 440, 600 and open. And in like 440, I got taken out in the first turn and then <laughs> open, I got taken out in the first turn. And then the one race that I made it through, I won, I won the, uh, sport 600 
And my dad afterwards, he's like, well, geez, this, I mean, it's like, it's like a bunch of wrecking balls out there. They're just running <laughs> India and everything else. He's like, you can already win in this. We might as well go to semi-pro. <laughs> that's what he said. He's like, maybe they won't run into each other as much. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. So the next year we, we should have went to sport, but we skipped to semi-pro and mm-hmm. you know, that's when the, the struggle bus um, came to came about. That's for sure. <laughs> Uh, when you when you bumped up to semi pro, were you guys still running your own program completely, or were you getting support from Polaris at this time? Like, what did your program look like? Oh gosh! So I remember we were definitely funding it, but I remember mm-hmm. we got like a B B program um, on my sled the, because I went right from the junior class um, the year before, so I was just excited because that back in those days, I mean, it was Red Rocket days, right? So I mean, mm-hmm. there were like everyone wanted a race sled so it was like a big deal just to get one i didn't get one in 97 um and then in 98 you know i had some results in um junior class so i got a race sled and then that Mm -hmm. following year i got like the b program which i like for whatever reason i like remember this it was forty five hundred dollars for my race sled and (laughs) wow and it was like it was yeah i remember i was like that's awesome but i think like knew it was like seven or something like that Mm -hmm. but but anyway so i we we got a uh, race sled and then shortly after that we realized that i could be in the fan cooled there was semi-pro fan so i ended up going like how they used to do it is they had some there's a fan cooled semi-pro class oh yeah yeah like there was (laughs) there were actually like i it's funny like i remember marty melby was his name like he was he was in there, did really well in it. There was a few guys that did really well in it, uh, but there was so how you would kind of do semi-pro is that was kind of like your transition from sport to semi-pro is you would get a fan-cooled sled and a 440, and so you would kind of like the fan-cooled one was like the slower guys or the newbies, mm-hmm. and but then you would all race in the 440 class. Gotcha. And then if you were like better, you'd run the 440 in the open and that's, gotcha. you know, so then you would get a mod sled. So it was a little bit cheaper, obviously with the fan compared to the mod and your competition was a little bit less in semi per, or in the fan, the stock class though. Like if you did anything in the stock class, you were like, Hey, like I'm, I'm moving up. Like I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. Cause that was all the big, big shooters in the semi pro. So what was kind of, misleading was my second race in the semi-pro um and and back in those days i mean i remember you'd have 10 heats like 10 heats of semi-pro it was like insane so you would have to go like one one two or you know one one two would a lot of times get you in the lcq so you had to do really good in qualifying so in the in I, i don't even think i qualified at duluth that first year and then we went to Deadwood, the second race, and I, I ended up getting second place. I, I got second place in the final. So it kind of gave me this like this misleading hope that I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm right in the mix, you know. And then from that yep. point forward, it was like, I, you know, thankfully I was in that fan cooled class because the stock class I just got beat up on for two years, both. 99 and 2000 i just got worked in the stock class and Mm -hmm. then in 2001 
um, is I got a mod sled that year and I started like the transition was, it, it was interesting because I, I like really struggled and it was like, it was, it wasn't very much fun. And then in 2001, by the end of season, you kind of saw it with, you, you see it with a lot of riders. They'll like all of a sudden that last few races, it's like they find themselves and they just start mm-hmm. doing well. And, uh, you know, we've seen that in snowcross where all of a sudden this guy just comes on strong at the end of the season. And that's what happened is like, I started building a little more confidence. I think I won a regional race and then I went to Geneva and I like qualified really well. And I came off the, like, I came out in second place and I was like the guy in front of me, I'm like, I am so going around him. And I just, I remember like throwing it into this corner to go past him and uh, you know i took myself out rolled the sled over and i'm like just because i was like impatient right and Mm -hmm. so i ended up taking myself out but then that next year in 2002 we went to um duluth again as privateers had you know still buying sleds still the whole deal went to duluth Mm -hmm. and swept duluth won the pro semi-pro open and stock and it was super funny because I was on my mod sled was the 726, which was the like C class mod oh. sled. You know, <laughs> they had that. And then they had like the, the small block one, which was like for the big guys, like the top mm-hmm. pros had that. And then they had a big block mod that was heavier and whatnot. Still had a lot of power, but it was heavy. So I, I'm on the 726, which is like the little kid mod. And so I'm getting worked on all the hole shots. I end up, you know, I come out mid pack in the final and I'm just, I'm like pounding around, I'm riding and I'm just like having a good time and finding doubles and whatnot. And I just, I'm like noticing, I'm like passing a lot of guys, but I didn't know where I was because the track was Mm -hmm. short. So you're into lappers and you don't really know where you're at when you're starting off in the middle. So I I pound around and I, I, you know, I was just excited because one, I stayed on my sled for the whole race and two, I passed a bunch of guys. So I'm like pump, so I throw a heel clicker off of it, and the guy there was a corner worker, corner flagger, and he is just fist pumping, and he it was you could just tell this dude is Jack, and so I went over and I high fived him, and and he's like, yeah, dude, that was awesome, and I'm like, what place did I get? And he goes, <laughs> you won, man, you won. I'm like no way, I was so stoked, you know. So then I'm like fist pumping, and you know. Oh, I was pretty fired up then. And then in the the next final, I won that one too. And I was like, wow, this is, that's cool. So I swept the loot and then it was awesome. Like Polaris, that was when Tom Rager Sr. was there. Mm-hmm. He literally, from that point forward, Tom Rager Jr. was in our trailer every weekend, making sure my sled was oh, good. Nice. He, he realized <laughs> yep. my dad was like, not the best mechanic, you know? <laughs> so he's like, yeah. I'll be in the trailer with you guys. So that, that year um, went phenomenal. I ended up winning. I, I think I like won one of the two finals every weekend, but one before mm-hmm. I, I blew my knee out. I blew my knee out like with two races to go and, Ooh, um, and it ended my, end of my deal. But, um, but I just remember it was like a phenomenal season. Then I blow my knee out this storybook year that I had and, and I had to, uh, I spent a week in the hospital. I had compartment syndrome in my calf and, mm. and uh, whatnot. So it kind of, it kind of, 
spoiled the fun. And then you're thinking, you're like, gosh, am I going to get a ride for next year? And, and, um, fortunately players, they picked me up on the factory team and, and, um, you know, and then my dad, I remember them asking me, they're like, does your dad want to still be the mechanic? My dad's like, I fixed it enough of his junk over the years. <laughs> it's all on you guys. <laughs> so he passed the torch. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Yeah. I was kind of curious working through the timeline. Cause yeah, that was your first pro year back when, back when team industries was running the, the factory effort. And I'm sure in a lot of ways you kind of felt like, you know, what, what could have been at in semi-pro that year if you didn't get hurt. So you're kind of thinking mentally, all right, I'm ready to bump up the pro next year for sure. But if you didn't get that call from Polaris and, and team, did you have any other plans or did that whole opportunity come about pretty early in the summer? It, it came pretty early, but <clears throat> so to backtrack that story going into that 2002 season, I remember my parents, um, you know, at that time I was, I, I think I just turned 18 and my, uh, my parents were like, all right, so this is the last year that we can help at all because we're like mm -hmm. pulling money out of our retirement to do this. And, you know, so if, you know, if you don't get, if you don't get picked up next year, it's all on you is what they, mm -hmm. they said. And going into that, you know, maybe that was the thing I needed, you know, prior to that, the year before, like I said, things were starting to click. And then after hearing that, you know, I think it, there is a couple things that happened to me was one, I, I started like, I started training harder and taking a little bit more serious there. But I also like changed my mindset. I just went, you know what, if this is indeed going to be the last year that I'm going to race, I'm going to have fun doing it. And I, I just remember like kind of going into Duluth with that mindset of like, Hey, enjoy the fact that we're racing, enjoy the battling on the track, whether win or lose, you know, just enjoy that element because this could be mm -hmm. it. And, um, that small change in the thought process of, you know, kind of enjoying it and having a more positive outlook really translated into uh a lot better uh, a lot better program a lot happier and also a lot more success and i that's one of the key things that i've carried on throughout my career was you know work hard be positive have fun is kind of my saying and and that's started all the way back then and when i do that that's when we would have a good uh, a good go at things for sure for sure <clears throat> So when you first get that that call then to to join the factory team, I'm sure it was a bit of relief then in your eyes because you're like, all yeah. right, now I can I can keep racing. I'm I'm good to go for at least another year. Yeah, well, funny thing about that. So I get the ride. I'm all excited about that. And that was that was uh, pre. That was actually when Polaris still had their own uh, factory riders, so mm -hmm. it wasn't all team based like it is now, where it's you know mm -hmm. there's. Jodnick Motorsports and Team La Valley and and yeah. whatnot. <clears throat> so I ended up um, running out of a, a gooseneck trailer. It was it was actually Carl Shabitsky's old trailer, and mm -hmm. it was all Polaris branded, just factory Polaris. And mm -hmm. I went to I actually started the season in semi pro, and I okay. went and they did. This was it was kind of funny because that was back when they did the X Games qualifiers on mm -hmm. friday or whatever the first day and so you're obviously racing 
against everyone that was outside of the top five at X Games. So, I mean, there's some good pros in there. So I do that qualifier and I ended up getting fourth. They pulled the top five. So I get qualified for X Games as a semi-pro. <clears throat> I go the next day and race semi-pro open, I think. And I jumped under yellow. So I got disqualified in one of my heats. So I didn't, I didn't qualify for the final then. <laughs> and then the semi or the stock class, it was, you know, it was gearing up. It was going to be Steve Taylor and myself. We're going to be the two top mm-hmm. guys. And Steve is in my heat race. I ripped the whole shot and he, he got me spun us both out in the first turn, uh, like got into the back of me and tipped me over. So we both got stuck there. Well then in the, in the uh, LCQ, I led the whole thing into the last turn uh, on, in the berm. He cut underneath me and like rolled me over to the inside. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't qualify for the uh, final for that one either. So I remember oh, man. it's so random how I became a pro. So that race was when uh, Sean Crapo turned pro mm-hmm. and he rode for team industries and Curtis Crapo. So the two brothers mm-hmm. were team industries and they both got hurt at Duluth. Mm. Sean broke his leg and Curtis blew his knee out, was out for the season. So they're like, okay, we need somebody to fill that spot. And I remember senior being like, well, well, you don't have any chance of winning the semi-pro now. Oh, and, yeah, that's fair. You yeah. know, so he's like, you know, I guess Levi is the best option, you know. So they <laughs> they throw me in there kind of, you know, not expecting much. And nor did I. I didn't expect much either. So I, I go into uh, the pro class then, and I ended up qualifying. That That was like Blair and Tucker – we're obviously the top two and that was the year it was Tucker's last year before he, he stopped and went and raced dirt bikes for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so it was like their last year. So those guys were like lights out fast. And I like jump in there with them. And, and I remember my goal was to not get lapped by them every race. I was like, just don't <laughs> get lapped. And there was many times that they did. I mean, I remember at Canterbury, I was in fifth place. And another lap, Blair would have lapped me. I'm like, geez, please. <laughs> it, it was so gnarly. But anyway, the, so I bump into um, the pro class. And it was it, this is what's a really interesting thing to, to think about was 2003. There were three guys that made it into all the finals that year that they entered. And it was really? Blair, Tucker, and myself. Like, we we're oh, like, okay. I fortunately made it in not nearly as glamorous as Blair and Tucker, but I was, I was in all the finals. And, but I mean, when you think about that, think of the last time, not all the, the pros or, you know, how few of the top 10 mm-hmm. guys haven't made it in every final. So it was, it was interesting between the three rounds that we used to have to do and um, the three rounds and the amount of riders that there were, it was just, it was way harder to get into uh, into those finals than they are now. Yeah, when I was going back trying to find info on that that rookie year, there's some there's some good like crash videos. There's some good like back <laughs> of the pack videos of that year. But you know, one thing I was curious about: did you you must have already like when did you sign that first Red Bull deal? Because even like that rookie year, you already had the helmet, and that yep. was like groundbreaking stuff back then in snowmobiling. 
Yeah. So I signed, <clears throat> I signed with Red Bull that same year, the same. So how the Red Bull thing came about was at that time we were on ESPN, uh, Snowcross mm-hmm. was, and Red Bull reached out to the producer of the Snowcross show. And they also reached out to Jerry Bernardo, who was the announcer. And mm-hmm. they just asking like, who's, who's who in Snowcross? So obviously Blair and Tucker are the top two guys. And what, what um, Red Bull was looking for is they're like, here's two, the two criteria is we want like somebody that's, you know, got the right, the right kind of feel. And we also want somebody that's like the up and comer is what they Mm -hmm. are. So at that point, you know, Blair and Tucker were already established and whatnot. So like, who's the up and coming guy. And I remember Jerry, he, he recommended Noel Kohansky, which I oh, yeah. just because he was, he was buddies with him, not because he was <laughs> up and coming or anything. Cause he was well-established at that point too. Mm-hmm. And then the guy from ESPN was like, you should check out this Levi kid. Cause at that point I was winning races and I was in the pro light, but I was doing or semi-pro and I was doing tricks. And, and, uh, I, I remember it was right after we went to Deadwood and I, and I used to do this headstand thing where I would, I would get the sled running and I would have it rolling at like, you know, maybe 20 mile an hour. And I would, I would do a, like mm-hmm. a headstand on the seat and I would grab the running boards to support myself. And I would do like, essentially like, it's like a handstand like that. I couldn't see where I'm going or anything. So I'd have to make sure no one was ahead of me, but I did that in front of the crowd. And, you know, I was like pretty excited about it after like winning the race. So the guy's like, you should check this guy out. He's like, he's pretty funny. He's, you know, doing all this random stuff. And so the guy from Red Bull, Hayes Wheelis, he came out to Canterbury and I remember meeting him and we went to like, oh, what was it? It was like the the noodle factory or I don't know. It was some restaurant. It was an Italian one. And at Mm -hmm. that point, I remember, I I remember like my diet was double quarter pounders and fries, (laughs) you know? So I'm like, I I didn't know what I'm doing. We went serious. Yeah, super athlete, super athlete. So I remember going to this Italian restaurant. It was so funny because I'm, I remember they, they came with the, the waitress. She came out with a plate and she lays it down. She starts putting olive oil on this plate. And I'm like looking at it and, and I'm like, what on earth is she doing? Yeah, I had absolutely no idea. I'm like, Phew. so, I, you know, and I'm trying to be cool. I'm with this this guy from Red Bull and I'm with Jerry Bernardo, the announcer from ESPN. And I'm like sitting there like in the middle, like I was on the end of the table and these two are like face to face. And I'm like staring at this, this plate of oil going, <laughs> what, what, are we supposed to put our hands in there or what are we supposed to do? You know? <laughs> and, uh, so I just sat there and then I, you know, I saw Jerry start tearing off some bread and, and, you know, dipping it in there. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> So I like take and you know, follow suit, do the same thing. And I'm like, okay, I made it through that. And then the Red Bull guy was like, yeah, we're, we're into these like the up and comers and, and, you know, guys that are kind of, you know, have an attitude like you and whatnot. So we really like your program. I'm like, right on, you know? And, mm-hmm. and um, so then I ended up signing with Red Bull, you know, by, um, you know, right after that season. So it was like this, it would have been like the spring, summer of, of, uh, 2000, 
two is when I mm -hmm. signed with them. And, and I remember they just, they would, they used to ship me Red Bull. They would FedEx me cases of Red Bull. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what? No way. These guys are like sending me Red Bull. <laughs> it was so awesome. And my, I had a little fridge. It wasn't like a Red Bull fridge, but I just had a little fridge in my room and my buddy would come at lunch break he would drive to my house just to come get Red Bull out of my fridge. He would just he'd come up there and take a Red Bull. He's like, Fred, I'm in. See you later. And I'm like, oh, good, good seeing you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 funny because, I mean, even to this day, you know, Red Bull athletes, I mean, just in, in all motor extreme sports in general, it's a very, like, it's a very elite level. Very, very few people get that opportunity. And even today in snowcross, it's limited. So, like, back then... Like I think Jay Quinlan, he was a sled next guy. Yep. He had a Red Bull deal, and then just seeing you, and it was like, wow, these like we're we're making an impact. We're we're big enough that Red Bull is looking at us. So yeah, that was always really cool to really cool to see. Yeah, it, it was actually looking back, it was you know quite an honor to be uh, one of the early early athletes with Red Bull, and, and to look at it now, I mean, it's phenomenal. I've been with Red Bull for over twenty years now. And it's, um, it's been a, a brand that's absolutely been incredible and instrumental in my career. I mean, cause their, mm -hmm. their whole thing is, is, you know, giving wings to, to dreams. And, and that's literally what they've done. I mean, all this stuff that I've done is like, it, it started off. I just wanted to become a professional snowmobile racer and, you know, mm -hmm. to look at when that happened and where just that, you know, where that went just the racing element of it and then to go you know x games freestyle distance jumping projects all this other random stuff is like it's all icing on the cake and and it's all you know a lot of mm -hmm. it is due to simply red bull which is has been absolutely uh mm -hmm. an incredible relationship so it sounds like when you technically first went pro i mean it wasn't even really in the in the cards it wasn't in the plan you just kind of got thrown to the wolves due to injuries so you know between that rookie year and then when you get your first win in 06 you know those are really competitive fields the iqr had a cup some growing pains the first couple mm -hmm. years with the spindles and all this kind of stuff so you know what were some of the bigger kind of learning curves that you were dealing with between going pro and then your your first win between 2003 and 2006, when I got the first, my first national win, uh, the, the biggest thing that I learned was that you have to slow down to go fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was my biggest one. And, you know, I realized that using your brake was faster than using just all gas. And those early years, I wasn't making any friends out there at all. Um, and it wasn't like on purpose. I mean, like mm -hmm. I was, I was all over the place. Don't get me wrong. But it was like my in my head, I'm like more throttle more fast is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And I would just like, I'm doing it in the wrong places. I'm like, you know, I would, I, I jumped on top of Trevor John multiple times. But the one that <laughs> finally sealed the deal was I did it at Lambeau Field. They did it in the parking lot the one year. And mm -hmm. the, the, I'm in the final and the way right side was like the line to going. Cause it was kind of like the, there was a jump right before the turn. 
and it was all mowed down and I like had a run on them and the, it was a really small track, really tight. And I'm like, I'm trying to make something out of nothing is what it was. It's just like hard to make any kind of pass. So I like, I cut to the inside and I like double in kind of like side by side with them. But that last jump on the inside was really steep, you know, just like mm-hmm. pop you straight up. So like I hit this thing and I just, I just sky jumped this thing. I'm just straight up in the air and Trevor's on the outside and he just like hits the berm and starts driving. And I'm like in the air, like, yep, I'm going to land on him. I'm totally <laughs> going to land on him. And I, and sure enough, I landed on him and I go flying off. So I'm in the middle of this berm and <laughs> I'm in the berm. Like I go to get up out of the snow. And as soon as I get up, I get shoved back down into the snow so I jump up like, what the heck? Well, here's Trevor and he's shoving me. We're shoving each other, like fighting in the middle of the track. And there's snowmobiles going on the outside of us, on the inside of us. And Joe Duncan, uh, he comes out and like, like almost like grabs us by our necks, you know, and pulls us off the track. Like, what are you guys doing? And so anyway, we had to go talk with Joe after. And I like, I always joked, I like had to go talk with the principal. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> but anyway, so we did that. And in, in those early years, I was, I, I wiped out Steve Taylor, uh, Steve Martin. We were in an LCQ. I came back from dislocating my wrist. So I missed the first two races, first race back. I'm all fired up and I go to the LCQ and we're literally like last lap. And I'm like, like, I didn't mean to do anything stupid, but I like doubled into the top turn and kind of like hooked it. And I caught my ski on the back of, of his track. And so he'd come off this jump and got all crooked and crashed. And so then I pass him into the lead and, you know, if I'm in the lead, I'm like, well, I should probably do a trick. So I go down, I do a heel clicker and I come off the track and there's all of Warner's guys are all sitting there like breathing fire ready to kill me because i just took their rider out and then i like did a heel clicker after and i'm like yeah that that probably wasn't the smartest thing i did was it (laughs) (laughs) so anyway i got a i got a stern talking to from there and fortunately they didn't beat me up but um those early years i i was definitely not making any friends and and then in 2006 i remember I had two years of injury. So you talk about what was happening. Well, I made it through 2003, my first uh, pro year and in like showed a lot of promise. Well, then I dislocated my wrist on September 1st. Um, so then I was, you know, dealing with that. I missed the first two races coming into season. I come back first of the year, kind of like, you know, not ideal, but I was right. I could ride at least. So I'm riding. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm a little bit behind the ball making mistakes. We ended up winning Hillcross gold that year. Uh, but I was like snow cross wise. I was like, I think my best was, I got my first pro podium was third in New York. And I think that might've been the only podium I had that year. So I struggled, but, um, one of the, one of the biggest blessings happened that year because of that injury. And that was, um, when I got hurt, similar to the year before when I came and filled in for Crapos, uh, when I got hurt, it was supposed to be just Brett Bender in semi-pro and then me in the pro class of the team truck. Mm-hmm. And that's when they brought in TJ Gula mm-hmm. to 
um, fill my void. And he was going to, he was going to fill my spot till the first of the year. And then they was going to go back to the East coast and race the East coast snow cross. And he like crushed it in those couple mm-hmm. races. He was there and they're like, yeah, you, you got to stick around. So he stuck around and, you know, at the time in 2004, uh, you know, I was like, the last thing I wanted was a competing racer in the trailer with me. So at first, mm-hmm. like TJ and I kind of butted heads, we butted heads and it was, you know, it wasn't like anything big. It was just like, we were both competing for that same thing. And then in, in 2005, TJ ended up winning the championship and that was the year I blew my knee out and missed the entire season. And then mm-hmm. in 2006 season, uh, it was, I had a three-year deal. It was the third year and I was hurt the first two years. TJ was coming off winning the championship and you know i'm like i'm kind of the second string guy and then i ended up separating my shoulder end of september riding dirt bikes with mike schultz so i come Mm -hmm. in i beat up again and i'm like i was right back to where i was at in 2002 where i was like man like is this the end like is this my last year and i went back to that mindset of like hey just go out there, work hard, have fun and Mm -hmm. enjoy this. And, um, I ended up having a breakthrough year in 2006 and, you know, got, got my first pro win and ended up getting two wins and handful podiums. And in that timeframe, um, TJ and I, you know, we, we kind of came, come to conclude that both of us were working our tails off. Um, Mm -hmm. and we're both going for that same thing. And there was, there was kind of a mutual respect after that. And, you know, we ended up becoming um, a lot better friends after that, which was pretty cool. So that 2006 season was, was, uh, you know, it was a really good one. And the other thing that I learned was like, that was when I said, you know, I'm going to really work on not running into people, <laughs> jumping mm-hmm. on them. And once I like kind of calmed down and I changed my corner techniques, I'd struggle as a, smaller rider to like corner as hard as some of the bigger guys. So I changed, um, to what I call the Rossi, which is, you know, Kyle Pauline has kind of made, has made that pretty popular with the knee down, um, mm-hmm. thing. And, and it, it just, the reason I did that is because when you have, when you put your foot back like that, um, it creates like a mechanical bind your knee does. So you can't, you can't go backwards on the seat. So it kind of holds you forward. And what was happening with me when I had my feet forward is your arms are like a pendulum. And as, as I would, you know, start bouncing around the corners, it it would like slowly bounce me back to sitting more or less in the center of the seat, which would tip up. So it kind of that Rossi um, kind of eliminated that problem. It always kept me forward. And on those old IQRs, Mm -hmm. you, you had to always stay really far forward on them. So it kind of like fixed that problem. So my corner speed was better and things just started clicking. And that's when um, everything started going well, which was, you know, that could have been, you know, the end of the road there if that season went to win as well as it did. Yeah. And we see, you know, after that first win in 06, as you mentioned, another win, couple podiums, like we, we see the progression the next couple seasons. Then ultimately it, it culminates in your first championship in 09 and, kind of going back into some of the trying to find some information on that weekend like there was 
I was unaware of it at the time. There was a lot going on that weekend between like, so it was, it was you and Garth tied going into that mm-hmm. final round. Neither of you guys had won a race the whole year. It was just consistency, just being on the box, putting you both in that position. So I'm curious, just going into that final round, like it's a, it's a cliche question, but just like, what was your, what was your stress level like going into that weekend or were you just, you know, cool, calm Levi ready to get it done? Going into Lake Geneva there, that final race, it was actually, it was a, it was an interesting thing. I had, I had like a 20, 20 some point lead on the, Mm -hmm. in the second last race, we raced in Hayward, Wisconsin, and it was, we did our, um, we did the final. And I remember I took off in the final and I came out and I was like in third place and I'm like, Oh, this is, it's on, you know, I was feeling Mm -hmm. really good. And unfortunately I want to say it was Dennis Ekstrom. He had a crash on the second, like after the finish line straight. And because we didn't complete a lap, they just restarted it. So they restarted the race, line us all back up. And I got not nearly as good a start. So I come into like the last turn before, you know, the finish line and I I get like T-boned. And when I got T-boned, you know, it, it jarred me pretty good. And I'm like, no big deal. And then when I go to take off, the the sled is like fully leaning over to the left. And I'm like, what's going on? And I look and my shock was broken half. Mm-hmm. I had it, it, I had a float and it just, so it's just completely flat. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, I definitely can't race with this. So I ended up getting last place lost my entire points lead going into the final race at Lake Geneva. So I remember when that happened leading up to that Garth always was getting like, he was getting pretty good starts where I am myself. On the other hand, it was like, I wasn't getting that good of starts. And I remember, um, I got, a the port tree, uh, Tim Bender had a port tree hooked up to a set of handlebars and I like portable, um, like drag racing tree. So you could like practice mm-hmm. your whole shot. And it was like this old one that he had from like when he raced NASCAR and stuff like that, I think. <laughs> so it was like, you had these big long cables and the huge box. You had to plug into the wall and everything else. So anyway, I remember it was two weeks before Geneva, the final race. And I would do, I would do a hundred starts every night before bed is what I did mm-hmm. for them two weeks leading into that. So I'm like, I got to be able to get better starts to do this. And I went to Geneva and, and I got uh, whole shots in all, in the stock, in all the stock races and ended up winning the final the, and ultimately the championship. And I just, I just remember, um, you know, the, how excited I was simply because when you're, when you're racing, like the goal was to become a professional snowmobile racer and that there's always that ultimate goal of like winning the championship and to, to finally achieve that after, you know, all the years of running into people and getting hurt and all these different, the different adversity that I had, it, it was super rewarding. And, and, you know, I was extremely excited that we were able to do that because I know how much I like put into into getting to that point and the, mm-hmm. the the thing that was um 
also an eye opener that year was that was the same year that we rotated the double backflip at X Games, and mm. I remember going to a, a dealer appearance after season, and I'm talking to this guy. You know, I'm signing posters for folks, and this guy's like, "Oh man, that double flip that was crazy." He's like, when did you stop racing? And I'm looking at him. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and I'm like, I'm like, I just won I, the championship. I won the championship this year. <laughs> and in like when he said that, like, and I'm looking at him like kind of like did the like dog head lean, like, really? Like but like, you know, because I, I had so mm-hmm. much emphasis on on that championship. And it kind of like, after reflecting on it a little bit, it like made me realize like, holy cow, like all that, uh, cause like the double flip and all that other freestyle stuff I was doing, I was doing it like as a hobby. It was like, I would do mm-hmm. it for a month, do X games and then be back to racing. And it, I think it really like kind of, it, it hit me there and made me like realize the significance of, of that, of my extracurricular activities that I was doing. Well, this is a perfect segue then, Levi, because that's what we're going to jump into next is the basically the the second era, the second career of Levi Lavalley when when you first start riding freestyle and speed and style at X Games in, in 08. So, I mean, that's kind of was the main draw, at least publicly at the time, was when they launched speed and style. And for you, you're you love jumping, you love tricks and you're fast on a sled. So this is kind of like just the perfect mix. But were you interested in in freestyle at that time just as a standalone discipline or was it really just speed and style that made you kind of explore that that side of it how it started it was it was all kind of uh it was interesting how it all came to be because in 2006 i went out to i went to um austria for the Erzberg rally on dirt okay. bikes, right? Which is super random. So I go out there with Red Bull and I'm totally not qualified at all to be at the Erzberg rally. And I remember the guy from Red Bull, uh, it was Dane Heron at the time. He's like, Hey, you want to come to the Erzberg rally? And I'm thinking like, go there to spectate is literally what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, totally. So he calls me two weeks before we're supposed to go. And he's like, so you've been practicing, you ready? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Oh, I've been like riding on my moto track, you know, not like pounded through woods or anything. And he's like, Oh yeah, dude, you're totally racing. We got a bike for you and everything. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so I go over there and I, I race with, uh, it was the same year they did, uh, in the old nitro circus days, it was like nitro circus four, I want to say. And it was the year that, uh, Jeremy McGrath, Victor Sheldon, who was like world champion jet ski racer, uh, Travis Pastrana, Ronnie Renner. There was like a whole fleet of like those guys all went and Mm -hmm. I I got to go with, I was in that group with them all for nitro circus. So I go over there and I get to meet, you know, Travis and the nitro circus guys and whatnot. And, um, you know, be, but become buddies with them. So then 2000, 2000, uh gosh oh yeah so it was that fall then of 2006 they say hey we're gonna do a shoot in utah do you guys want do you want to come out for it so it's like september 2006 which it's like i used to like always 
kind of schedule how wild I was going to be based on how many months I had until season. So I had time to recover, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, well, yeah. if I give myself three months, you know, I can come mm-hmm. back from a broken, whatever. That's how I used to think back then. And I'm like, Oh, this is rolling the dice going in September. But mm-hmm. you know, that's October, November, like, yeah, it'd be, it'd be close. I think it'd, it'd be, be tight. <laughs> yeah. So I, I end up going out there for this shoot and you know, there was an off day um, in between. And I, so I went to OGO and they had a, a, bmx foam pit there and you'd run up this hill and you ride mm-hmm. a bmx bike and you flip and i'm like oh i so want to flip so i went and i back flipped like for hours i was just having an, an absolute mm-hmm. ball jumped in this foam pit and so then the next day we get to uh where we're doing the shoot and travis pastrana comes to me and he says hey man i heard you learn how to do the flip yesterday on the bike i'm like yeah i'm like it was awesome and he's like cool well mm-hmm. today you're flipping a dirt bike to that to that landing over there and i'm like i look at him like what and and so here he's got that this big sand pile they made and a kicker Mm -hmm. ramp pushed up against it and he he gives me uh they they had a 450 it was a 450 yamaha and Mm -hmm. i like i hadn't even i don't even think i had ridden a no i take that back that was my first year i had a 450 so anyway i i get on this yamaha and i've never hit a freestyle ramp let alone like a kicker ramp and he's like so he's like you're you're better off just flipping right off the get i wouldn't even try straight Aaron, because it ain't gonna go well <laughs> i'm like okay so so there was it was two there was another guy that was gonna flip for the first time and we we're like the two of us are sweating bullets and travis is like he could sense that we're sweating bullets so he jumps on this thing i remember it like so clear he jumps on with tennis shoes and no helmet. And he goes, and he puts his hands up and he goes, oh, oh, scary. Backflip on a dirt bike. Oh. And he like goon rides up to the ramp and he backflips it and he sticks it right into the back of a landing, like just dead yeah. stops right in the back of the sand. And he's like stuck there. He's like, oh, backflip, you know, total goon. <laughs> and so the guy, the other guy goes first and he completely doesn't get it. He yard sales himself. So then it's like, okay, your turn, Levi. So I go, I pulled my hand right off the handlebar on the first pull and like mm-hmm. wiped out. But I like, I'm like, oh, I totally got this. So I jump back on and I go and I hit it and I flip that second one and I'm like claiming. I'm like, yeah. So I go and I'm going to do another one, like right back to back. And Travis is like, he was videoing and he's like, he's going to crash. And sure enough, I like <laughs> pulled too early and pulled my hand up. <laughs> so anyway, so that's what, that's how it like started. So I'm doing this type stuff, you know, getting ready to go race in snowcross. We go race snowcross 2006 or 2007. I'm sorry. And then that spring Travis is like, Hey, we're going to be shooting at my house. Do you want to come out for that? So after season, I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. So I go out there, you know, it's probably first thing in April. And I go out to Maryland. I got to jump into his foam pit a bunch on his like 110. And, and I was like practicing knack, knack flips. I was trying everything. So I was like, this is so cool. Well, then Travis saw me and he's like, Hey, why don't you try flipping that four wheeler? So he, they had like a 450 Suzuki or 400 or something kind of like sport quad. And so mm-hmm. I went and I flipped it into the foam pit. And, you know, got it around. I'm like, sweet. And he's like, awesome. Well, the next day they had like this best trick contest and 
you know, it was on mini bikes and then it was based off the same ramp they use in the foam pit. So, you know, everyone goes and then, um, Travis is like, Levi, you going to flip that forward? You're going to flip that forward? And I'm like, no, no, no. And he kept on me. And I finally said, I said, I'm going to go look at it is what I said. And he goes, he just yells out to everyone. Levi's going to flip the four wheeler. Get the cameras going. Like that. And, and I remember Jeremy Rawl and Greg Godfrey, like they both stopped me on the floor. And they're like, dude, if you're not feeling this, don't do it. And I'm like, no, like I did it in the foam pit. And so I went for it and I totally like pulled too early under rotate. I stick the nose into this wood chip landing and it stuck in so mm -hmm. hard my face hit the like plastic on the front of the four wheeler. Like I headbutted <laughs> the front of that, like bent right over the handlebars and stalled the four wheeler, but it was, it was like on its wheels. And I'm like, I look around, I'm like, dude, I, I just did it. I, I'm a, I did it. <laughs> so I like, yeah, you know, so I like did this like terrible backflip on a four wheeler. And then two weeks later I went to Alaska and I was filming with the, um, trying to get hardcore guys and mm -hmm. like with the sole mission of like, I'm doing a backflip up there. And I ended up doing mm -hmm. my first backflip on a snowmobile. Um, and then that following uh, fall is when X games hit me up and said, Hey, like we're going to come out with this new discipline. If you can show, you can do some tricks, you can be entered in this, this new discipline speed and style. And the first thing I did is I called Red Bull and I said, so, I have no idea where to get a ramp, but mm -hmm. like, can you guys tell me who would know where to get plans or who could build one? And they just said, don't worry about it. We'll have one built and shipped to you. And I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. So they like built this ramp, shipped it out to me. And like, I got it in a week and a half or something. So it was like right now. And I built a landing in the meantime, and I just started practicing doing tricks. And I, I had someone video me. And I, I remember I was just like learning these tricks going, all right, you know, I got to figure out how to do, you know, four or five tricks for the speed and style. And mm -hmm. in that process, I, I ended up, uh, I went out to Justin Hoyer's place who was like, mm -hmm. he was one of, if not the only guy with a foam pit for snowmobiles. And because mm -hmm. I wasn't competing in freestyle, he's like, yeah, you can come learn how to do the flip here. So, mm -hmm. cause he didn't want to like teach any of his competitors. Yeah. So I'm like, well, I'm just trying to get into speed and style. So I go there and try to flip in there a few times or a handful of times. Um, and then I end up like going back. I remember I, I literally went and practiced there, went to race school. They used to have race school, uh, for at Polaris and I go there and do that. And then, um, I went back and uh, ended up learning. I learned all of it was the it would have been the second year of freestyle. So I learned all of Chris Brandt's gold medal medal run. I learned all his tricks, oh. and I was like, "Well, gosh, I wonder if I could qualify for freestyle." So mm -hmm. we went out to Billings, Montana, to this qualifier and ended up winning the qualifier. So I was in freestyle and speed and style. And, um, and then we went on to win free, both freestyle and speed and style male athlete X games. But funny thing was, is when I was actually going for my first backflip to snow at my shop, I was planning on doing it on Sunday 
and I got a call from Tom Rager Sr. on Friday, <laughs> and I got this voicemail, and he it's it was so classy. He's like, Levi, this is Tom. I heard a dirty rumor. You better call me. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and Tom, like anyone that was there in that time frame, Tom was like dad, right? Over at the race mm-hmm. shop because there was all us, all us young guys running around and he was like the authority. So I'm like, oh man, dad busted me is what I was thinking. And he called back and he's like, he's like, I heard you're going to go for a backflip. And he's like, absolutely not. And I'm like, no, 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 Tom. Tom, I, I like, I, I really think I can do it. I think it's going to be good. And I, 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 I'm going to need to do that, I think, to win. I don't think I can win if I don't do this backflip. And he goes, absolutely not. And I'm like, no, 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 I really think I can do it. And he paused. He like, I remember him pausing for a little bit. He's like, do you know how much trouble you, me, and Tim Bender gonna, would get in if you get hurt? And I'm like, I, I know, I know. <laughs> and he paused again and he's like, he's like, if you have any doubt, any doubt whatsoever, don't do it. Well, I mean, all I have is doubt. You're going for your first backflip on a snowmobile. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm scared to yeah. death. And I'm like, no, 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 I feel really good about this. So I kind of like semi get his blessing to do it. And then on Sunday, I ended up doing it. I did my first one. I did one backflip on Sunday, three backflips on Monday, five backflips on Tuesday. And then we packed up and went to Billings, Montana. And ended up winning uh, the qualifier there. And then after we won uh, speed and style, freestyle, and, and mail out the X Games, then Tom said, you know, that probably was a good idea that you had. Is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's funny to, to think that, you know, Travis Pastrana played a big role in this early on because he had a very similar kind of ultimatum as you in a lot of ways because he was getting all this pressure from Suzuki you know, when he was going to move up to the 250 class, like, Hey, we got all this money into you. This is where we need you quit the freestyle stuff or, right. or go all in on that. And we're not going to help you. You know, it's, it can't be both ways. So I was curious how much, you know, <laughs> pressure you got both from Polaris and your other sponsors when you started dabbling in this freestyle stuff. When I started in the freestyle, the funny thing is those first few years, like, Oh, eight, nine and 10, I was able to manage them manage it pretty Mm -hmm. well like i was i was able to like you know have success in snowcross and in freestyle and it i mean then it was like yeah no worries like like the year we did the double backflips the year i won the championship and the next Mm -hmm. year i got i finished uh second in uh pro open and i had a terrible i i broke my heel in May of 2009. And so 2000, 2010 was terrible. I, I remember I broke my heel and my foot and I, I couldn't, I remember for two years, I had surgery on that foot two years in a row and I, I couldn't do a calf raise. I couldn't lift my heel off the ground for two years. So mm-hmm. my foot and ankle was so weak. I would I would tape it solid. I had like this, um, it's called Luco tape, which is like this heavy duty athletic tape that doesn't stretch. And I would, I would wrap my ankle so that it like was essentially solid. And then I would slide it in my boot and that's how I would ride every day. And in 2010, it was just 
destroying my ankle every time I mm. would ride, it, tearing up all the cartilage in it. So then I had surgery the following year again on it. And after the 2010 season and that 2000, after 2010, that was when uh, distance jumping started. And, you know, I got hit up from Red Bull and prior to that, uh, Red Bull calling. I remember talking to him after the double flip in 2009. I was like, oh, I would love because I, I went to the Red Bull New Year No Limits in uh, in Vegas when Robbie did the distance jump. I didn't get to go when he did the step up, which was, I'm bummed I missed that. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so I went there and I'm like, that is incredible. And I said, you know, I, I told him, I said, I'll do a distance jump. I've never done a distance jump, but I could do a distance jump. I could land right into a double backflip. I was like, I was like, whatever it takes, you know, to do something like that. And then they called me back like later and they're like, Hey, would you still want to do a distance jump? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'd totally be into it. And they're like, so here's the kicker. We'd like you to do it in San Diego. And I said, well, last I checked, there's not a lot of snow in San Diego. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they go, yeah, that's one of the hurdles. And I said, well, I think we can figure it out with AstroTurf and whatnot. So that's when, it, you know, that whole thing started. But that going into, you know, that prime of my career, the 8, 9, 10 was that I was able to focus a little bit more on racing and not quite as much on freestyle. And then after that, you know, 2011 was the year you know, I crashed in the distance jump. So I missed the entire snowcross year, 2012. I, I remember racing Duluth. Uh, I think I raced Duluth and then uh, Can- Canterbury maybe. Uh, yeah. So I raced Duluth and Canterbury and then I broke my leg. So we did the distance jump in the middle of that. So I remember going to Duluth 2012 and it's so classic. That was, if you remember, that was the first year of the Arctic cat. Um, I don't, what, whatever that's Arctic cat sled was the pro cross, the pro cross chassis. Yeah. When that pro cross yep. chassis came and I remember it must've been terrible because oh, that, yeah. was, that was the only time I ever saw Tucker like crash without something drastic going wrong. It just looked like it was a handful to ride. So I'm in this first heat race with with Tucker, and I get like a, they had the track backwards that year too. So I remember I'm like I rip a whole shot. I'm up front. I'm I'm like gonna win this heat race, and I, I come around the last turn, and I'm like I'm down the like little bit of a straight coming out of the turn. I'm fist pumping, looking at the crowd, you know, like that. And I I I come up and I go and do a heel clicker. I look out over to my out of my corner of my eye and here tucker is passing me in the air he literally <laughs> like when i'm fist pumping looking at the crowd he's on the inside of me wide open on the straight and he, he i ended up beating him uh to the you know to the the marker there or the wire um the scoring line so i ended up winning that race but he literally passed me and landed in front of me off that finish line. And I'm like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. So the only reason I remember that is because you don't beat Tucker Hibbert very much at yeah. all. So any time you do, you're like, yep, that's going in the mental bank forever. So, um, so anyway, I remember I raced there and I think in the final, I ended up getting tossed. You know, I blew off that, off that side of that turn, um, the first turn and went down the hill and was out of it. 
Uh, but anyway, so then we went and did the distance jump after that. And then I came back and broke my leg. Um, I was going to try to do a double backflip at X Games for the second second time in 2012. I was going to do a double backflip, and I broke my leg in the foam pit before I could. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, these pretty much from, I mean, I guess basically up until like 2018. I mean, we we still see you in snowcross, but by this time you started Team Lavalley, so you, part of your mind is there, part of your mind is in snowcross, then part of your mind is in this freestyle stunt whatever you want to call this this side of your career so it's yeah it was always really interesting to kind of see you excel in a in a lot of different ways in in those years before you become before you really step away from from snowcross at least yeah it it was a different thing i mean going you know snowcross was I, i knew what it took to be to do well in snowcross and i remember telling myself i said as soon as i'm not able to do that i'm done and, mm-hmm. you know, I probably, 2014, my final year racing, I was 100% not doing, I, I wasn't there even to win. It was, it was an interesting thing because, like you said, we started the team and the idea was, was to stay involved in racing after my career was the idea behind the team. And, you know, in those early years, it was, you know, it was based around me. So it was like, the accomplishments that I had were the teams. And that was like, mm-hmm. ultimately the draw we'll say for the team. And then Kyle Pauline um, started on the team in 2013 and he was showing a ton of potential from the beginning to the end. It was like, he, he grew so much and was like so close to get on the podium at the end of 2013. And then in 2014, you know, he, uh, he came out swinging and he got, two podiums at a second and a third at Duluth and followed it up with another couple. And, you know, he's just on it. And then I ended up getting hurt in 2013 as when I tore my lat muscle um, and was out for the second half of the season. And then 2014 in my head, I'm thinking like, I need somebody to, um, you know, take the baton at for team LaValle and mm-hmm. Kyle was, was doing well so i kind of like at the races i wasn't even really focusing on doing well myself it was like if kyle was in the same heat or race as me i wasn't i I was doing whatever i could to not get in his way because i wanted him to excel Mm -hmm. so so it wasn't it it kind of bums me out thinking looking back on that because i would have been it would have been nice to give it an honest go that final year um but but it wasn't, my head wasn't, uh, it wasn't there at that time. And I was, I was a little bit, not, not nursing, but I had that lat muscle injury, which was, um, really random from what I found out. Mm-hmm. Like when I did it, the doctor's like, he's like, so there's literally been less than 10 cases of this ever. You know? <laughs> and he's like, this is super random. There was like a, barefoot water skier a bull rider and a tennis player that did this so we don't have a lot of background on it i'm like okay that's good news um so what it essentially did it's funny because i have it now if you if i hold my arm up it looks like the muscle from like where my tricep is there's a hole in where my tricep is compared to my other side 
And then mm. in my back, there's like a ball the size of a golf ball that like sticks out of my back. And so I think the muscles like broke off and is like back there now. It's kind of random. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember like the, one of the years at X game Snowcross when, you know, they're like, yeah, Levi's not racing today. He tore his lap muscle. And even as a kid, I was like, what the hell does that mean? I've, I've <laughs> never, I've literally never heard that in my life, but okay. All right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it was super uh, random. Yeah, and and through these years, you know, like you mentioned, Kyle Pauline kind of really hitting his stride in the pro class. And, you know, I'm an East Coast guy, so all of Jake Scott's success was something that a lot of us hung our hats on. We were all extremely proud of him, too. So the team was really starting to gel and seeing a lot of success. So I'm sure for you it's kind of, you know, I've talked to some guys that are now team owners or rider coaches, and they get to that point mentally where, they just honestly get more excited about watching their riders or their protégés win. Like it becomes, that's, that's their drive is to see the others succeed because they've kind of already been there, done that in their own career. I think you're exactly right. I mean, you get to the point, there's, there's a couple of things. Like one thing that, uh, you know, I, I started, I guess it's hard for me to speak real, accurately to that with other guys because i i was being pulled in all these different directions with you know the freestyle stuff and the projects and everything like that so there's a lot of stuff going on that kind of distracted me from racing and Mm -hmm. it would have been you know it would have been fun to like see a more of a natural way of going out like how it would have been but where i was at Mm -hmm. like i knew I'm like, I'm not, I'm not able to put the time into snowcross to, to do it right. And it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of energy and a lot of focus to, to be good at it uh, or at that level. And I just, I just couldn't, there was two things. One, I wasn't able to apply that much energy towards it. And then those last, I would say that last year in particular, i Physically, like I couldn't do more than two days of riding in a row. I would be so mm-hmm. beat up feeling. I'm like, I can't hardly, I can't really walk, let alone ride. And um, that's where I was like, you know, that that kind of creeped in my head. Like, well, that's that's not a good thing. Um, so, I, and as that was happening too, you know, I was I was in the game in 2010. I wasn't. And then I missed 2011, 2012. I was like, you know, I think I probably would have been okay. Um, 2013, I was a little bit further back. 2014, you know, by that time, Ross, Tremblay, those guys, there were so many guys that were going. They they just kept progressing, and I just kept Mm -hmm. going further back. And I'm like, this is, you know. And then there's that younger crowd coming in, Cody Cam, Kyle all those mm-hmm. guys start coming in and uh really really putting putting it down so it, it got really tough for me but i was i was extremely excited for kyle because as a team owner you're looking okay, sweet here's our next guy and then like you said with jake when jake came he, you know he he came out swinging in that pro light class and and absolutely crushed it and then we're looking at like this is going to be awesome we're going to have kyle and and Jake in the pro class and you know it uh it it didn't quite go to plan but you know it was 
it was a lot of fun seeing those guys succeed and, and helping them. I had enough time back then where I could, I, I put a lot more time and effort into like coaching and, and helping those guys. So it was really rewarding to see them do well. So is this, is this going to be the year for you guys, Levi, with, with Adam and Riley? Like this is, this is going to be the year it all comes together for you guys? You know, it, what's kind of fun about this year is like we're like the quietest team in the series, I think. <laughs> you know? There's like all kinds of stuff going on everywhere else. And it's like we're like, well, Riley went pro. And it's like that got swept right over by yeah. all the madness this year has been so far. <laughs> so it's kind of nice, though. I mean, in, in regards to that, you know, it, it almost it almost takes pressure off because the guys aren't, you know, there's all this commotion everywhere else. It's like no one's really looking at them in at, at the riders in that our riders in that manner. And I think it's a perfect opportunity to surprise guys. Which is which is which will be good. And I think Adam, you know, he um, he's got a tremendous amount of talent, and I think you know if he can get a little confidence, if he has a couple good runs early, I think he can he can take off. And and with Riley coming up to the pro class, the guy is he's so consistent and so mm-hmm. like just you know very like dungy-esque where it's like mm-hmm. you know never he's it, it never seems like he's like out of control or reckless or anything like that he's just smooth and fast and mm-hmm. i i think if he you know it'll be an adjustment in the pro class just because everybody's out for blood in in the pro class compared to the pro light i would say um so you really got to focus on your starts and like getting through your first turns and those type things but i think He's, you know, has, he had showed last year, he's super good starter and I, and he's a smart rider. So I think he'll catch on quick and it'll be really fun just to see both the guys kind of progress throughout the year and hopefully they can continue to grow and, and, um, you know, achieve the, the goals that they have set. Yeah. One of the things that's been cooler about team Lavalle over the years is, you know, when you start off, you know, with, you know, it's like you and Bobby LePage and there's, it's a big, it's a big pro effort primarily, but over the years you've kind of turned it into like a, like a support kind of farm system program where you're trying to take guys, give them opportunities in the sport class and move them up and things like that. Like you're not just a, let's wait for him to get fast and then we'll sign him. You're like, no, let's, let's build our own talent. Let's build a relationship with these guys and let's try and get them to the top ourselves. That's exactly it. I mean, for me, you know, what the team has turned into is um, it's turned into what I, what I'd hope, you know, keeping me involved in racing beyond my race career. But what it really, what it really has come down to these last handful of years, I look at it and I just go the the opportunity that, Snowcross has given me, you know, with all these other things and the relationships I've I've uh, established and the people I've I work with and all this these different things. And I look at that and it's like it, it's all started from Snowcross. And I I just think you know what a cool opportunity to you know try to help these other riders achieve that goal and be able to get to mm-hmm. that next level and and that's i find so much joy in in helping those guys get there and you know seeing 
guys like Adam, like, you know, we've helped Adam out forever on very, very small level, just all the way back when mm -hmm. he was, you know, the first time I remember watching Adam, he was in the junior class and to see him mm -hmm. just keep going all the way up and now in the pro class riding for us and being able to win that pro light championship uh, a couple of years ago. And, and you just like, I've, I've been through all those steps and the joy when you see them achieve that, it like brings you right back to when you were in those shoes and when you were doing those same things. I mean, I didn't win a, I won a semi-pro fan championship. I never won the big one like Adam did, but you like look at it and you know, the effort, and you know, the energy that went into that and you know how exciting it is. So it's, it's fun to kind of go back and, relive some of those moments and some of them are even better um than the ones i had so it's it's very cool to see that and i i just look forward to um trying to help those guys best i can and see them achieve uh achieve their next goals is kind of the the big focus but going from right from the beginning all the way up till pro it's a uh, it's quite a journey and if you if you can you know, got the energy and, and the work ethic to get there. It's very rewarding to, to finally achieve those goals. And that's where both Adam and Riley are at. They're in different stages, um, you know, being rookie pro and being in the pro class for a couple of years. Like I struggled for a couple of years, significantly more than Adam. And, you know, that's, what's fun is like, is this the breakout year for Adam? is Riley going to surprise everyone? I mean, that's the, mm -hmm. the story to be told, and I look forward to seeing it. So just a couple more questions for you here, Levi. I already kept you way longer than I said I would, so I apologize. Oh, that's my bad. I'm, I'm a talker. So <laughs> my wife, she laughs. She's like, if he's thinking an hour, good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, like as you look, as you look, you know, across your entire career, <clears throat> If you had to pick you know one accomplishment that you think you're most proud of it doesn't have to be like a particular medal or a particular race could be relationships reputation could be literally anything what's what's the thing you're most proud of uh i i would say the thing i'm most proud of is just being able to uh continue on in snowmobiling beyond beyond my career and be able to um, still help people beyond mm -hmm. my freestyle, beyond my racing. And it's, it's really rewarding now to be able to help the racers, but now it's such a different role. I like, I'm helping, you know, I'm, I'm, it went full circle. You know, I started off trail riding as a kid and then it went down this crazy road of all this other things. And, and not to say that there isn't still more crazy stuff to come, but a lot of it's transitioning back to like me just riding around home again. So I'm out ditch banging and I'm out ripping these mm -hmm. trails and I'm telling people all about these sleds and like how this one works awesome here and this one works better there. And, and it's such a, such a cool thing. And I just, I go back and I just am so grateful, so thankful um, for all the things that snowmobiling has, has brought to my life. And uh, that's what I'm like the most excited about is just to be able to continue to stay, you know, just engulfed in snowmobiling the way that I am in all these different areas, because it's like, it's, I, I fell in love with snowmobiling when I was eight years old and 
to, you know, eight year old Levi, you know, I, I, when I was 10, I wrote a report or I would have been maybe nine in fourth grade. Um, but anyway, I wrote a report about becoming a professional snowmobile racer. And I just look at all these things that have happened all because of a snowmobile. And I just go, this is mind blowing to me. Like it's what a, what an insane blessing, insanely grateful I am for all this. And as far as the achievement goes, it's just being able to continue to do the the thing that I love is what uh, what's been a, the greatest accomplished for me. It is weird for people who are like not into snowmobiles or don't have the passion. Where you know you like for a lot of us snowmobilers and diehard enthusiasts, we look at a snowmobile and there's just like you said, there's just there's so much in our lives, so many memories, so many friends, so many opportunities that come from just this hunk of aluminum and plastic but if you if you're not a snowmobile you just you just don't understand you just you don't get it <laughs> i i laughed i was in uh new york syracuse new york last uh weekend and i was talking to someone about mm-hmm. that i said snowmobilers are they have to be one of the most diehard enthusiasts out there because when it's negative 10 we're all excited to go out riding <laughs> and I'm mm-hmm. like, most people are like, you do what? You go outside and you then you go 50 plus mile an hour. You know what the wind chill would be at negative 10? At that? <laughs> yeah, and we're like, oh, I know it's great, isn't it? It's great, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I just think that's awesome. And I think that there's, you know, I, I, I always tell everyone, if you're a snowmobiler, you're a friend of mine, no matter what brand you're mm-hmm. on, because like, in general, I meet so many people at these events and out snowmobiling and all the stuff we're involved in snowmobiling, and you you meet nothing but awesome people, and mm-hmm. it's it's just such a such a cool community. It's smaller than than a lot of different things, but man, I think you know we're small but mighty. We got some great people in this sport, for sure, for sure. So as we look at snowcross as a discipline specifically, what are some areas of improvement do you think that we as a community, not not ISOC, yep. not CSRA, not any of these guys, just like us as a community, where are some things that you think we can improve on to, to better the sport? The the thing that I I think would help is is kind of the feeder program into mm-hmm. uh the into the national series is like the thing that's i i has diminished a little bit but i think mm-hmm. it's there's 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 positive signs of things coming back you know there's you know some series in wisconsin that are doing good and they, like erx i think has done a phenomenal job with the um the thursday night races you know and, and that the cool thing about that one is the, you know they've got classes where you can bring your trail sleds you can bring old mm-hmm. sleds you know, and you just get to go out there and start racing. And I think that's one of the things like that I was fortunate when I was young is there were regional races everywhere. There was stuff going on all the time. And it, it allowed, it allowed you to get seat time. It allowed you to kind of, you know, start learning that the craft and, and then eventually going on to the nationals and, you know, kind of, getting established there being seen we'll say so i I think if there's any way to you know support those uh, those grassroots series those you know kind of regional series i think that's going to be um the key to try to get people 
an easier way to get into the sport and grow from there. And if it, you know, if we can support them in, in any way, shape or form that I think will help get us our numbers bigger for snowcross so that we can, we can start seeing um, more talent getting up into that national level. Because like I was saying in the old days, there were so many pro light riders. There were just, the numbers were so much higher because we were mm -hmm. pulling from such a bigger pool of, of riders. And now mm -hmm. the, that pool has been diminished a bit and it's, it's really cool to see these, these different series coming, coming back and having good entries and, and, you know, having a lot of racers and stuff there, because I think that's going to be um, one element that will really help grow um, snowcross in general and get those numbers up in the pros and pro light classes. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm a East coast guy. I'm from Vermont and new England doesn't really have much of a series left at all anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. these days it, you know, all the guys have pretty much moved out here to ride. And when I first uh, came out to Minnesota, uh, in college and I was going to ERX on the weekends in the winter time, and I would do the, the grassroots racing on Thursdays, you know, and I just remember like telling my friends back home, like this, you don't understand, like there's just the, particularly with those, with those Thursday night races, just the, the family environments, getting new people who might not even ride snowmobiles, but they're driving by the track and they see there's something going on. They go in, they meet people, they get brought into the snowmobile community like that, that grassroots level of, of racing and bringing in new people, I think is, is ultimately going to be what hopefully solidifies the the sport in the future for sure yeah I, I would agree with that so i always see the videos and stuff on on youtube levi and on social but i i think your kids are into sleds too like it sounds like the the lavalley name is going to live on in snowmobiling somehow <laughs> will be i i would say the kids are they're into snowmobiling uh i haven't i haven't really pushed on them you know like i i just think mm -hmm. back to when i was a kid like my dad you know he he always had like he's like here's here's your four-wheeler and i rode the wheels off that thing and then it was like you know when the snowmobile came about i was out there riding every chance i could with him and i think you know at this point i haven't really pushed it too much with the kids like we've got a 120 and stuff and they're they're going to be too big for that this year. So it's like, I'm looking mm -hmm. at what is that sled? Do you go down like the 200 um, or do you just go to like an Evo or, or something like mm -hmm. that where it's like, you know, a little bit bigger. And I look at like where I was, I was, you know, my son's seven, my daughter's nine. So I was eight when I had my first sled and that Indy 400 and I go, well, do you just go right to like a full set or like an Evo, which is, you know, a small scale, um, full size sled. And I, I'm like, I'm thinking that's going to be the road I'm going to go down and just kind of mm -hmm. see gauge their interest. And I don't think I'm, I don't have like, I don't, there isn't like a, a, a drive to say, okay, you know, we got to go racing. We got to go racing. It's like, mm -hmm. it's more or less like, Hey, if you like, if you really enjoy this, and you want to go down that we'll go down that road but like my my hope is is that we find something that that they like love to do that they find as much joy as i did in snowmobiling and we pursue that 
um, to uh, the full capacity it would, it would be the the goal. So if that's snowmobiling, we'll be we'll be full steam ahead. But whatever it is, we'll, we're gonna we're gonna go big like we always do. <laughs> so last one for you here, Levi. This one could get kind of deep, but I'm just kind of curious your take on it. You know, we look back kind of mentioned earlier this kind of second era of of levi lavalley in the in the freestyle world compared to snowcross you mentioned you were already kind of into it doing tricks and you basically learned to flip before you even got into freestyle but let's say hypothetically speaking that x games winter x games never has any kind of freestyle snowmobile discipline at all who do you think levi lavalley is today if he never gets into freestyle what does he look like like who, who is that guy Oh gosh, that's a it's a wonderful question because at that time, I mean, I was so I was I was so driven in snowmobiling. It would have been interesting to see like what would have happened, and it's the same question that one would ask Travis Pastrana: What would have happened mm-hmm. to Travis if he would have never went down the road he did? And it's a uh, it's a valid thing because he was a very talented. He was very talented. He did very well. Um, would he have ever been Ricky Carmichael? I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I know knowing him, um, he's extremely talented, but he's his focus is uh, he's all <laughs> over the place, right? Which is, it's yeah. I, it hits home with me because that's me in a mm-hmm. nutshell. Like I, I get I don't want to say bored with things, but I like I used to love going. I would go practice snowcross in the morning. I'd jump freestyle in the afternoon. And I, I like mm-hmm. love that, you know, I was, I was excited to go back and forth. So I was like, oh, I can't wait to go mm-hmm. pound laps. I can't wait to go jump. But when I just pound laps, it just gets boring. So, mm-hmm. you know, to say where would I have gone or what would I have turned into? Um, it, it's hard to say. It's, it's, I don't know how long I would have been able to just keep grinding at Snowcross and finding ways mm-hmm. to reinvent it and make it entertaining to me. So it's a it's a very that's a very hard question to to go down. And if X Games wouldn't have done it, you know the the, the question is is would I have would I have like started jumping, you know, because I was kind of going down that road of you know messing with Nitro Circus guys and which was a little bit premature from what it is now. But would I've continued to film with those guys and pursued that more probably um but mm-hmm. wherever it would have led i don't think it would have been nearly as good as uh as it is now so i'm extremely grateful for how things did turn out 100 percent. we'll wrap it up there for you levi again i i really appreciate the time it was it was really cool to chat with you and you know i've i've referenced it a couple times on uh on my show but there's an entire generation. You're, you're kind of like uh, you're kind of like Brian Deegan on uh, on the the Deegan family vlogs. Like, there's an entire generation of people that doesn't even know about your snowcross stuff. So I, <laughs> yeah. I really I really wanted to dive into that and explore that. And then obviously your entire career. I thought it was thought it'd be really cool. So I uh, I yeah. really appreciate the time and and I really appreciate the stories for sure. Well, thank you. You know, I I appreciate you bringing up all the racing because it, it's been so long since I've talked racing. You know, most people are, you know, they want to know about urban snowmobiling or they want to know about double backflip or distance jump. 
and it's everything but racing. And, and there's a lot of people that don't even know that I did race. Right. And yeah. so <laughs> it was fun. Uh, it was fun going back and talking, talking those stories. So I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you having me on for, for the podcast. Cause it's been a lot of fun. For sure. For sure. Levi LaValley on the Carbide Podcast. What an awesome discussion with Levi. As I said in the intro, you may never meet anyone as passionate about snowmobiling as him. He took an interest in the sport and ran with it as far as he could. And in a lot of ways, is living the dream if you're a snowmobiler. Thanks again to Levi for the time. I was telling one of my friends that I'd met Levi in passing a few times over the years but this was my first real discussion I'd had with him, and he was exactly who I'd hoped he'd be. Thanks to all you listeners for your continued support. If you're new, thanks for checking us out, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and check out all of our previous episodes for some cool content. Some awesome episodes in the works, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it. And as always, take care.